Tonight, we are, I'm sure this is, sound all right? Okay. Tonight, we are going to be uh, talking about starting the third day, all right? The third day of Jesus' last week on earth. Um, this will take us a few weeks to cover. Uh, the first couple of days uh, have been a little bit shorter. Uh, last week we talked about the money changers, um, but tonight we will be starting the third day, but like I said, it'll be a few weeks uh, of different things, and we've divided it up uh, into, uh, I've divided it up into a few different things, and so we'll call this um, a day of controversy, um, we'll see what the controversy is here as we go, but tonight we're talking about the Pharisees uh, the Herodians, and uh, you can see the title there, the Pharisees and Herodians ask a question. Um, you may remember what Ben read. That's not necessarily last week of the life of Jesus, but I wanted you to see in what Ben read there just a few moments ago, that at the end of what Ben read, it said that the Pharisees and the Herodians went out to figure out a way to sort of get Jesus. Um, and, and we'll talk a little bit about who these two groups are uh, this evening uh, as well. But let's talk a little bit about the few different things that happen on the third day. And this is kind of an overview of what we'll do the next few days. But as Jesus and his disciples journeyed to Jerusalem on the third day, the disciples viewed that unproductive fig tree that we talked about last week upon which Jesus had pronounced judgment the first day. We talked a little bit about, we talked about that in the miracle lesson. We talked about it last week as well. The tree had withered and Jesus took the occasion to teach his disciples a lesson on faith. And we see this quite often with Jesus. The smallest things or the slightest things or the littlest things become what we would in education call teachable moments uh, even today. Uh, and that's something that we see there as well. Um, on the same day, Jesus taught the people in the temple. And these are all third day things. Uh, we're not going to be covering all of them tonight, of course. Uh, but the first one, the Pharisees and the Herodians ask a question regarding tribute to Caesar. And that will be our lesson this evening. The Sadducees will ask a question regarding resurrection. A scribe asked Jesus about the greatest, great commandment. Jesus asked the Pharisees a question regarding the son of David. Jesus pronounces seven woes against the scribes and the Pharisees. Jesus will observe the widow casting two mites into the temple treasury. And finally, Jesus discussed with his disciples the destruction of Jerusalem and his second coming. So all of these are third day things. Now, you might say, well, that's a lot. Well, if you were to take down a note of everything you did in one day, your list gets pretty quick, pretty, pretty big, pretty quick. How many of you have ever said, talk to somebody on the phone, I've not done a thing all day, right? We've said that, right? But if you're being honest with you, that's not true, right? Because I did two loads of laundry. Well, that's bullet point number one, right? And I mopped the bathroom. That's bullet. It doesn't, but we sometimes, we think, well, we've not really done a lot, but there's a whole lot. And so when we look at these days, remember, they had 24 hours a day just as we did, and they did a lot just as we would do a lot as well. Tonight, though, we're talking about the Pharisees and the Herodians asking a question. I should have made this bigger, and I apologize. It always seems like it should be bigger. It's bigger. I think my problem is this. My computer screen is like this big, right? 
So it looks like you can see it from the moon on my computer screen. And then when we get here, it looks different, uh, even to me. Uh, so I, I apologize. But Pharisees and the Herodians. Let's talk about the Pharisees first. So just a quick show of hands. I have heard of the Pharisees before. Okay, put them down. I can tell you everything there is to know about the Pharisees. That's a little harder, right? But at least I'm not giving you a new word today. But the Pharisees were a religious sect of Jews. Okay? So it's the most important thing for I want us to think about tonight. The Pharisees are a religious group. Okay? Now, when we think about Jewish people at the time of Jesus, they were all, in an overarching sense, Jewish. But there were different groups of Jewish people. They had different opinions about different things. It's not too much different than Christianity. We think today there are Christians, people that would believe in Christ in a lot of different places. But does everybody necessarily agree or believe the same thing? No. And so the Pharisees were one sect of Jewish people. However, they were the most numerous and I guess we would say the most popular. I don't know. They weren't always the most popular. But if we want to think about numerically popular, maybe that's what it was. They were strict followers of the law of Moses. Okay? The law of Moses, what you'll see there in uh, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. They were strict followers of that. We talked about this on a Wednesday night a while back. However, over time strictness to religion became sprinkled with tradition and it was almost like a balancing scale where religion was heavy and tradition was light and they kind of flipped. And so by the time that Jesus is on earth, the Pharisees are probably a little heavier tradition than they are religion. The binding of those traditions on people becomes a problem as well. That was a falling out that they had with Jesus quite often. Remember, they would ask about, should you have healed on the Sabbath? Well, that's a strictness kind of issue. Okay, But then, what could you do on the Sabbath? That becomes a tradition kind of thing as well. And so, by New Testament times, their spiritual zeal was more on the outward correctness of the law rather than sincere obedience to the will of God. And quite often, they looked good to the people, but they weren't healing when it was time to heal. They weren't helping when it was time to help. And we can learn a lot from that, even in ourselves today. Now, the second group is the Herodians. The Herodians were not a religious sect, but instead would be what we would call today a political party. What word do you see on the front of Herodians? Herod. Who was Herod? Herod is the great, the king. And so he was their political leader, if we want to think about it that way. So they're not a religious group so much as they were a political party. They supported the ruling dynasty of Herod the Great, and they apparently preferred to be ruled by the family of Herod rather than by the Romans. Now that brought its own problems, and we have the same kind of issues when we think about multiple political parties today. People favor one at the expense of the other, and then that leads to a whole series of conflicts as well. Very little is known about this group. We know a lot more about the Pharisees than we do about the Herodians. But point being, tonight we are going to see these two groups 
join hands against Jesus. Okay? You may have heard the term of the, the saying, politics makes strange bedfellows. You may have heard that before. I'm not saying that all Herodians were Pharisees or all Pharisees were Herodians. But sometimes it's beneficial for them to join together. And we're going to see two groups sort of join together against Jesus here this evening. Questions about these, and I can answer them maybe to the best of my ability. Had we heard of Herodians before? All right. Probably not as much, but like we said, Ben did read that. Let's talk a little bit about the Pharisees, though. A couple of things before we get into where we'll be studying from here in just a few moments. Shortly before Jesus' crucifixion, the animosity of religious leaders of the Jewish people toward him intensified. Okay? So when we think animosity, what does the word animosity mean? If you have animosity towards someone. Hatred. Anger that can become hatred if it intensifies. Maybe that's a way to approach it. But they don't like him. Sometimes animosity might be sort of justified. You may have a reason that you don't like someone. But sometimes animosity can be something that maybe starts small and it sort of builds or festers and it maybe builds up. And so what started as something maybe not as big becomes a much bigger problem. This was an issue with Jesus. Jesus started as something that really was insignificant to the Pharisees. When I think animosity, I think that you want to fight. Yes. Yes. It's not just, it's not just, boy, I don't like that, but I'd like to finish you all is what it is. And so Jesus, as we've talked about, starts as this sort of character, this backwoods country, only a couple people know about him, but as it builds, more people follow, and the Pharisees become uh, concerned and that, that animosity sort of increases. Uh, we read there, what Ben read just a I think it was, that they decided these two groups, Pharisees and Herodians, how they might destroy him. I'm going to go back to what Ben said just a moment ago. When Ben said, you think animosity, he thinks almost like wanting to fight. This is a strong word that's from the scripture. That's not me saying that. I, I'm not looking for a, you know, I'm not giving you a synonym or something else. They sought to destroy him. What does it mean to destroy? Completely wiped out. There's nothing left over. It's completely gone. At the end of the ball game, if you say, that team destroyed us, you're not going to follow that up by saying, I bet if we play tomorrow, we win, right? We're destroyed. So the idea here is they saw how they might destroy Jesus with the hope that when they destroyed Jesus, whatever that was, he'd be gone. There'd be no more. After Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, like we said, they took counsel uh, together. Uh, for to put him, Jesus, to death. A couple more things and we'll get into what we're going to read. Jesus had answered the questions of the Jewish leaders time and time again. Quite often, the Jewish leaders' questions were insincere. The goal of the questions that the Jewish leaders often asked of Jesus was to get him to do what? Want to trap him. Want him to make a mistake. Want him to sort of tie himself to one side, right? The old saying, how long have you, how long have you stopped, how long since you split beating your wife or something like that? I don't remember, that's exactly what it is. It's like, ooh, you can't answer that question. It's a, it's a bad answer either way. Well, they would try to trick Jesus, but Jesus often responded with what kind of answer? He 
he would typically ask them a question. So the shoe's on the other foot, right? They put it toward the other side. And so the people, as this goes on, they're considering Jesus to be this prophet. They're starting to gain support for Jesus. And as we've said time again, the Jewish leaders get a little bit worried. They were afraid to seize him, as we said last week. And so they decide we're going to get him on one of these questions. All right. The question tonight is dealing with money. All right. Dealing with money. I want you to go to Matthew chapter 22. We'll be in a couple of spots tonight, but we're going to start in Matthew chapter 22. The picture that I have here on the screen, and again, my big screen at home, this all looks good, and it looks tiny font here. That's pitiful. All right? The, the picture that we have on the screen here is a picture of a coin that would have been used by people in the Bible. Jesus may well have spent one of these coins, may have been given one of these coins. This is the kind of coin that would have been circulating. This was a Roman coin, okay? The picture on here is a picture of Caesar. This is the front side. This is the back side over here. You can kind of see... The date engraved right here, and uh, no, it's not the date, it's Maximus, all right? That's the great, uh, rather than a date, I'm sorry. But these were the coins that would have been spent, okay? And so on the third day, attempting to entrap Jesus, the disciples of the Pharisees and the Herodians will start off with a little bit of flattery. What does it mean to flatter somebody? Brag on them. Puff them up a little bit, right? Make them feel good. Looking good, right? You've lost, what, one pound? All right, looking good. But no, we, we kind of, we, 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 we do that. Sometimes we do that when we want to get the other person what? At ease. At ease just a little bit. And then you're going to follow up with something else. And so we'll see that here in a second. And so after falsely honoring Jesus, they're going to ask him, is it lawful to give tribute to Caesar or not? So that's our question tonight. Is it lawful? To give tribute. This is pay, but tribute can be other things as well. Is it lawful to give tribute to Caesar? Okay? Now, is it becomes a yes or no question, right? Okay? Is it, we answer yes or no. So if we answer yes, there's a whole other set of issues. But if we answer no, there's a whole different set of issues. The goal here, they were trying to entrap Jesus. These disciples and the Rhodians are referring to the tax imposed upon every Jew to be paid each year to the Roman government. And although the Jews were subject to Rome, nevertheless, they were under Roman protection and they had certain advantage. One of which, you could spend this coin anywhere. Lou talked about that a couple weeks ago when she said you can spend American money in almost any place. Well, this was a coin. If you had this, you could go anywhere in the Roman Empire and you could spend it. So people would have been familiar with this. However, as a Roman subject, they were obligated to give to Caesar not just tax or tribute, but also honor and respect. That becomes difficult. I can pay you. That doesn't necessarily mean I'm going to like you, right? Somebody comes and does a job at the house. If they do a shoddy job, you still probably got to pay them. But I'm not going to brag about them to somebody else when they want to know what it is. 
And so, right, if they did a good job. And so this question, sort of asking in a sense, which side is Jesus on? Is he on the Roman government side or is he on the people side? Because that will matter. Okay? Say that Jesus said yes, and he had said yes, he's going to offend one side, he's going to alienate the people who were opposed to it. If he said no, he's violating the Roman law. All right, let's go to Matthew chapter 22. On the board, Matthew chapter 22, verses 15 through the first half of verse 19. So if you're reading from your Bible, don't read all of verse 19. If you want to read from off the screen right here, uh, do that instead. Tom, do you care to, to read this for us, sir? In the first All right, find me the flattery in the first paragraph up there. Where is the flattering of Jesus up here? All right, master or teacher. So you start off with a title for him, not you, hey you, hey dummy, sir. Not even that, it's master or teacher. Okay. Then they say what? We know that you are true. So you're not going to lie to us. If we can trust you, we know that you are true to what you're going to say. Then what? Okay. That you teach the way of God in truth and that you don't, you're not putting anybody up, you're not regarding anybody better or worse. These are all great things, right? This is all. And so if somebody said that about you, always honest, Always trying to help people. Not playing favorites. We're all pretty excited, right? Feeling pretty good, right? This is great. I can't believe somebody's saying all of this to me. Followed by. But they ended up attracting themselves. Because the people that would be there listening would hear them say, these are supposed to be the Pharisees. You always tell the truth. You teach the truth. You're from God. So by there, I'm thinking. You don't. That's true. That's true. All of that propping up kind of looks negative on them. He says, or they say, tell us, therefore, what do you think? Okay. Now, what do you think becomes an opinion question, right? And an opinion is not always based on fact. But sometimes opinions get treated as fact, right? And so the question is, Jesus, what do you think? Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Now, how can Jesus answer this without considering this? Maybe put yourself in the shoes there instead of Jesus. How would we be able to answer this? No, no, I'm not asking what Jesus said. What, how would we probably answer a question that was presented like this? Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or to not? Most likely we would, most likely we would say, uh, 
We have to, but we don't want to. Have to, but don't want to. Okay? Yes, but don't like it. Or if I say no, what then happens? Tell the IRS, no, I don't have to pay taxes. They'll be knocking on the door by the sunset, right? And so if it's a yes or a no question, we're going to have to answer yes or no, but we'll start to hedge a little bit, right? Like, oh, better do it. Man, sure hate to do it. But Jesus doesn't answer it that way because either one of those answers that we would give is exactly what David said. You put yourself in trouble. Jesus turns around and answers a different way, okay? Jesus answers and says, why do you test me, you hypocrites? Show me the tax money. Let's go a little further. We'll come back to that in a second. Matthew 22, this is the back half of verse 19 through verse 22. Jill, do you care to read this? So let's talk a little bit about this right here. According to Matthew, the Pharisees sent what with the Herodians to talk to Jesus? Matthew 22, verses 15 and 16. Disciples. Okay? Now I want you to remember that word. Okay? Disciples. A disciple is a follower, right? So I want you to remember that word right now. You'll write it down and you'll plug in that. Memory you got, okay? Remember the word disciples, all right? Now, let's go to Luke chapter 20 and verse 20. This is the same story, but I want us to look at it just slightly different right here. Old Andy, care to read Luke 20 and verse 20? Okay. So while Matthew called those with the Pharisees disciples, what word does Luke use to describe those from the Herodians? Spies. Okay. Now what's the difference between these two words? And can they both be used fittingly? Okay. Anybody else got thoughts on it? So disciples, as Ben said, were people that would have been, you know, followers or what have you. But disciples is a typically a religious term, right? Spies, well, political term, right? You know, when you watch a spy movie, it's usually something about Russia and the U.S. during the Cold War or something like that. And they're trying to sneak in and figure out what's going on. And like Ben said, you don't hold up a flag and say, I'm a spy right here. If you're trying to infiltrate, if you're trying to spy, what do you do? You kind of blend in, right? You want to look like that kind of person that's sitting there like, this guy loves this Jesus. And you know what? I think we're going to kind of sit here too. We look alike. They won't suspect anything. But I'm going to ask a few questions that might sort of entrap him here. I think both words work well because we've got a religious group and a political group that are both sort of going after Jesus right here. I just wanted you to see those words there to start with. All right, let's go to Mark chapter 12 
And we're going to look at verses 13 through 17. Kind of the same story. Uh, we, we've seen there's story story told in three different places. Let's go to Mark chapter 12, 13 to 17. Will, do you care to read Mark 12, 13 to 17, bud? We saw the same thing in this version. So this same story. But the disciples slash spies flatter Jesus. We know you're what? We know you're true. And you care about what? You regard what? Or do not regard. I guess I should say not regard. but The person, the status. You're not swayed by anything fancy. But instead, you teach the way of what? The way of God in truth. And they said, what question? Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? What did Jesus know about these men? What word did Matthew, Mark, and Luke all use to describe them? Hypocrites. In fact, Matthew 22 and 18 says that Jesus perceived their what? Uh, what, the, what he perceived. Hypocrisy is the second word up here. It said he perceived their, starts with a W, their wickedness. Okay? Matthew 22 and 18 says that Jesus perceived their wickedness and called them hypocrites. And let's talk about those words there for just a second. Wickedness. What was the name? Evil. There's an intent, I feel like, with wickedness that sometimes isn't there with wrong. We've done wrong accidentally, right? Or we've made a mistake. But wickedness is almost a plotted out plan to do something wrong. It says that Jesus perceived their wickedness. This is a plotted out plan. They didn't just show up for the fun of it. They're not just there like, here's this guy. I wonder what he's up to. This was a plotted out plan by both the religious leaders and by the political leaders at the time to try and entrap Jesus to stop him because both sides stood to lose the more Jesus did well and both sides stood to gain if they could get rid of Jesus. Jesus said, though, that they are hypocrites. Hypocrite means what? Two-faced. We see this, we see that word often in used in the Bible. Go ahead. Usually when I think of wickedness, I think someone that takes pleasure in doing evil. Yes. Pleasure in doing something. Right. Others on hypocrites. What do you think of when you think of hypocrites? Politicians. Politicians, all right. Say what to do to get elected and then probably do something different, all right. The Herodians, I probably fit that measure pretty well. 
not trustworthy. Most of us are not thrilled. You know, if somebody is hypocritical to us, we probably aren't going to trust them much the next time, right? What else? Maybe we think of a hypocrite. Caught up in. I know as parents, we can get caught up in. I remember my parents supposed to be, don't be smoking. You shouldn't smoke. You know, they're chain smoking right there. <laughs> Same thing when I was growing up, right. smoking, you know, oh, Jesse's saying, you know, here I am, right. place. It's easy to get caught up in, you know, do as I say, not as I do. Right. Yeah, definitely so. And so, this concept, this idea of hypocrisy, we see it sort of sprinkled throughout the Bible, right? Jesus calls that out. Quite often. Because if it's, in many cases, these people that he's calling hypocrites, these are the religious leaders and the political leaders. In a perfect world, your religious leaders are going to be what? Truthful. Honest. They're going to do what's right. They're going to help others along the way. In a perfect world, your political leaders are going to do what? Truthful, honest, and help their constituents. But it doesn't always work that way. And Jesus is in many ways, by calling them hypocrites, saying that you could be doing so much more for your own people, but what are you doing instead? You're knocking down the only person that seems to be telling the truth and the person that the people seem to really want to be following. And your goal is to pull him down, it seems to be. What tell Jesus come to bring? He asked me, he said, bring me this. And then there's one coin, right? Bring me one coin. We don't teach a lesson with one coin right there. When they brought the coin to him, Mark chapter 12, verse 16, and it's in Matthew as well. When they bring the coin to him, Jesus says, or asks them what? Who is this image in subscription? Who is this on a coin, right? Who is this a picture of? This is a rhetorical question. He knows the answer. They know the answer as well. So he says, who is this person? So they have to answer this question, right? So they answer, who is this? They say Caesar. One word. Who was Caesar? The Roman ruler. The emperor. Probably the highest ranking person in the world, or at least in the Mediterranean world, at that time right there. This is the person that essentially everybody that's within earshot has to answer to. Whether they're Jewish, whether they're Roman, whether they're Gentile, whatever they are, they all would have to answer to this person. They all know who's on that coin, right? They said, who is on that coin? And they said, Caesar. And so Jesus then follows up by saying what? How many of you had heard that? sentence before you can't get here tonight. So, Jesus says, it's got Caesar's coin on, or Caesar's face on the coin. Give it to him. That's who it goes to. But you need to give God the things that go to him. The coin went to the political leader. But what went, hold on, the coin went to the political leader. What was, go, what, what was to go to God? The reverence. the reverence, exactly. It was not about stacking up money for God. All that money belonged to God, right? The coins that were in China, they didn't have Caesar's face on it belonged to God. But that reverence is what belonged 
to God. What were you going to say? I'm sorry. I was going to say when it says, and they marveled at him, it's, it's, I think that's one of the most wonderful answers in the Holy Testament. Uh, it just puts it clearly which size is which, and you do both. But the answer that they marveled, they yeah. came down off the mean street for a yes. while and thought, this guy's really got it. Right. We've seen this way often, actually, with answers. It kind of took people aback. But th- this is a great answer. And as Boo said, the question there, the men's reaction was that they marveled at what they had seen. They were sort of wowed by what they said. This is as good of an answer as you can get. Because what they should have probably expected was him to go into some diet. Try, well, you know, got to make sure to get this percentage over here. But we, remember, it's 10%. You know, but also, yeah, they were maybe expecting that. But that's not what the answer was. He said... Give to Caesar what's Caesar? Give to God what's God. Finish up. In this answer, really less than 10 words, in this answer, Jesus sort of defines our obligation to both, right? First, to the civil government. That's the country that you live in. Whatever country that is that you live in. And Christians live everywhere. But regardless of whether the government is benevolent, helpful, kind, tyrannical, overruling, iron fist, probably somewhere in between, you live where you live. And you have to exist where you exist. You have to be in this place. In such cases where laws of the civil government might conflict with God's laws, then we ought to obey God rather than me. However, not every law is going to follow God's law. And that doesn't mean that laws we might disagree with won't continue to exist. So if every law that exists that we disagree with, and say, well, that's got to be struck out. Well, that's an unrealistic expectation. I don't know that I'm better off spending all of my time trying to undo laws that are already existing for 330 million people, but I might be better off rendering what I do to God. Jesus affirms in this story our obligation to God as well. And so as Christians, we have to give what to God? Ourselves. The verse right there, Romans 12 and verse 1. Present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is what? Your reasonable service. I like the word reasonable there. Because reasonable says that that's not even asking that much, right? I just need you to do a reasonable amount of work. I've told some kids before, so I need you to do a reasonable amount of work, right? Answer one. Well, let's just see where we are, right? But Jesus says to, or I guess Paul says in Romans 12 verse 1, but to present your bodies a sacrifice, holy and acceptable God, which is your reasonable service. Given to Caesar that which is Caesar, but let's give to God what we need to give to God. We're not our own. Ben talks about the, I've heard Ben say this verse right here so many times. Bought with a price. He's uttered, as about almost every time Ben talks 
at the communion table, he'll say something similar to that. Bought with a price. If something is paid for, that means it's somebody. Well, well, who bought us? Who paid for us, right? God. He paid for us with what? Jesus' life on the cross. Bought, therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God. So finally, we have to submit ourselves to who? Have to submit ourselves to God. Not just in the tax, not just in the money, but the word tribute can also mean glory and honor as well. See, I can come to church, sit for an hour and leave. I can drop a million dollars here and leave. I've paid the tax, but have I honored God? We have to render to Caesar that which is Caesar, but we have to give to God that which is God. We have to do what God asks of us. And the people marveled at the answer that Jesus gave because that was the kind of talk that they hardly ever heard from anybody else. That kind of line was something that was rare for them to hear. Comments? Yes, sir. I think this proves emphatically that Jesus did not come to set up an earthly kingdom. He did not set up an earthly kingdom, nor will he come back and set up an earthly kingdom. It is not about this world. It is about the world to come. Uh, we have to, there's people that have lived their life in complete, terrible reigns of civilization. Jesus did. Sure. sure. Slavery and oppression of every kind. And but uh, we think that, you know, I think some, we've got this idea in our head that God wants us to just be easy street down here. If it was all easy street down here, we never would want to leave. We'd right. want to stay, stay down here. Why just going to heaven? This is great. Sure. Can't have a Can't have no. a Absolutely. If you didn't, Ben said you would never grow. We grow from these difficulties that we come in contact with. Other, other comments? Okay. Well, if nobody else has anything, that was where we were going to stop this evening. Uh, we, next week, are going to be looking at the 